to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. Brought to you by FunkinStuff.net, this is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. G.X. Wolfine, musicologist, creative arts journalist, and multimedia pro. Whether you're watching the video version of this show or the audio-only podcast version, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in this show. If you enjoy this programming, there are several ways to help support Truth and Rhythm, as well as contribute to further enhancements and expansion, plus get some sweet perks and rewards in the process. First, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Second, join Truth and Rhythm's new membership program through Patreon, which features three tiers for truth believers, Truth Seekers, and Truth Crusaders. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, which is loaded with awesome content, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff merchandise, and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. Sponsorship opportunities are available as well. Contact me directly at scottg at funkinstuff.net. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I'm pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership drummer Benzel Cohen. What up? 20 hey, man. <laughs> Yeah, hey, since 2010, he's best known for keeping everything on the one for George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic. As the son of longtime P-Funk horn trumpet player Benny Cowan, he grew up immersed in funk so deep and first sat in with the P-Funk All-Stars while still a teenager. Mentored by P-Funk and jazz drumming icon Dennis Chambers, Benzel has collaborated and recorded with several other Clinton cohorts, including Danny Berjosian, Michael Clip Payne, Garrett Scheider, and Lige Curry all of whom have been guests on Truth and Rhythm as well. So it's high time we've had Ben Zell on. How are you, man? Hanging in there. Pleasure to be here on Truth and Rhythm. I love the name. Hey, thanks. A pleasure Those to two go hand in hand. <laughs> you ought to know. <laughs> yeah, you'll find out the truth through the rhythm. <laughs> where, where are you coming to us from today, Ben Zell? I'm in Baltimore, Maryland, in the basement. The basement yeah. where it all goes down, right? Yeah, yeah, my dad's been uh, making some music, so we got the little studio hooked up over here, just, just a little bit of stuff, and, um, just to, you know, lay down some stuff. Very cool, very cool, and uh, must be feeling pretty good, because you guys have uh, just recently got back out there and doing it again after some downtime, so that's got to feel good. Yeah, it's great, and I heard George say that we're going to be a little busy coming up, so we've been off for quite a while, so now it's time to, you know, double up on the work. Well, as people long get, as we can. The people need it more than ever, you know. So you got to bring it to them for sure. I need it too, you know, playing in the basement and uh, local gigs and at you know church and stuff like that. It's a it's a good thing, but it's not the same um, amount of energy exerted, like or the, the same workout. Or the same push, you know. So getting back out there, like we just played this gig in Florida a couple of days ago, and that was at Okeechobee Fest, and you know we were in there rehearsing, and we we had Mono Neon join us, and Taz, Brandon Niedermeyer, and um, a group called Earth Gang, and it was cool they joined us on stage, but we we're in there rehearsing like 
for a couple hours for, for no reason. <laughs> and then uh, now we're just getting on stage. And I just remembered that we're playing at a festival that has like 50,000 people out there. So now I'm just looking like, oh, we got to play in front of all these people today. <laughs> Haven't done that in a while. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it wasn't easy without the, uh, you know, rehearsal time, but uh, it looked like the people had a really good time. So oh, yeah, it worked out. Yeah. Well, I look forward to you coming through the Carolinas again soon, but uh, in the meantime, I'm glad yeah. to talk to you right now. Um, so Benzel, you know, you, you, of course your dad, you know, is, is the trumpet player and has been in P-Funk for so long and you grew up in and around it. And you're also from Baltimore, which is such a hotbed with so many of the, you know, funk mob members have come from there. That whole, you know, Baltimore group of guys. What was it like growing up in that environment for you? Uh, it's a tad intimidating. <laughs> you have to know what you're, uh, what you're trying to do and you have to push for that goal, despite of like the adversities and other people that may sound better than you than you think, or you, you know, you're not on that level yet. You have to just push through that. So it's a great, uh, Baltimore is a great training ground for pushing through for sure. And, you know, having like the funk mob members being from Baltimore, like, uh, you know, Greg Boyer and, uh, Greg Thomas, all these, uh, these cats, you know, they're so, elevated and they're like grew up with my dad and stuff so i kind of been around those people for a long time so i've had this kind of push for greatness since birth kind of being around these people where they're just expecting you to be on a level so you kind of have to work up to that yeah even skeed and mudbone and just so many guys i mean and dennis of course yeah yeah the most intimidating factor <laughs> of all of it is the dennis you know and in Mudbone too, all those cats, they really know music really well. And they, they know like this particular style of music very well. Um, so being up under those guys and trying to play this music and actually stepping on stage at 15 years old uh, with P-Funk is a very hot, <laughs> hot seat. And they all are expecting a certain thing and they know that you're younger. So they know you're going to play some stuff, but they really want to see you play with some maturity if you're going to sit on this set. Did you remember? Did you remember your first time, like being at one of their shows, like when you were a little kid or something? Uh, there was a lot. Um, I was, there was a lot of times. It, it started from when I was first born, basically, and able to old enough to be taken there, and they just passed me around, like you know, Bootsy and all of them, just you know, and Dennis and all of them held me and passed me around and stuff like that. So I was around a lot. I was falling asleep to the gigs all the time like like i don't know how that's possible because it's so loud but um i was somehow able to fall asleep during that <laughs> those are long concerts though it was four hour shows at that time five hour shows maybe three and a half hours P so, funk lullaby yeah <laughs> exactly so i kind of had to hear that stuff in my sleep so i you know just jump up on the drums at some point, be like, oh yeah, I know, you know, Red Out Mama or something that I might, you know, play sound check with uh Skeet or something like that. I had a lot of opportunity to get up there and play on sound check first before they before I had the uh audacity to go to George and say, um, okay, I'm ready to play this particular song, which is Dog Star, um, Fly On. It was like the first song that I was studying that they were playing on stage. At the time, I was studying the whole the whole set. By the time I was 11, I had live tapes, and my dad would have me um, practicing to these tapes at like 10, 11 years old. So, um, so between playing to that and playing uh, one of my favorite records, which was America Eats Is Young, so I had a lot of Tiki Forward on drums. So I was kind of getting to that style younger. Um, and trying to, you know, to Tyrone and and Dennis trying to like learn some of that stuff. And Frankie Cash Whitey that was on there. Dennis not on that record, but Dennis is just in my life on drums. I can't think about drums without uh thinking about him at some point. <laughs> you know? So so you so you first played up there with Blackbird on on Fly On Dogster? On, on Dog, yeah, yeah. Uh that was uh um Warner Theater, D.C., uh, 1999, 
So I was 15, I was in high school, and that was around, that was like April or something. Um, still during the school year when that happened. Were you nervous? So I still had to go to school the next day. Um, no, I was actually excited. I was excited um, because I've had opportunities to just play on soundcheck. And it, I was nervous because uh, it requires you to play a little bit longer. So you have to be prepared to play 20 minutes, even though it's like an eight minute song, or you need to be prepared to play 10 minutes, even though it's a four minute song. So you always have to be prepared for extra. So I, I learned that early playing with George Clinton, that you had to bring extra to the table. You might have to play the whole show. Something might happen. You just have to play the whole show right now. That's how we came up. Like it's like, so you have to just be ready at all times. So from like, Six, fifteen, sixteen up. I had to just whenever I was at a show, I'd be prepared to be playing a song that night. Once you played that first time, now it's like okay, now you're expected to do that now. When you're in D.C. or Baltimore or Philly or Virginia or New York or wherever, you're gonna sit in. So that thing started happening from fifteen years old. But the first one was Warner Theater, uh, and then there was somewhere else. I think another club, maybe Constitution Hall or something. Um, and then after that was Woodstock 99, you know, July. That was on George's birthday, really the 23rd, I think, or something, July. 22nd, maybe. Who was the main drummer then? Was it Gabe or somebody else? Uh, it was Frank. Oh. But everybody was there. I don't think Gabe was there, but Ron Wright was playing. So Ron Wright was playing the Gabe stuff at that time. Um, you know, Gabe's on that record. Didn't mm-hmm. uh, fly on. But um, Ron Wright was there. Frankie. I think Rico was there, too. Yep. And myself. So do you think, did you feel like it was sort of preordained, you know, that you would end up playing in the band? I mean, at what point did you think, you wanted to do that or that you would do it? Well, actually, um, around that development time when I was 11 years old, that's when I started playing, getting paid a couple of dollars to play music. Um, so the band used to come over the house, like the whole band. They just had two tour buses outside. and just bring any of the members that wanted to come in Georgia, come over. So they would bring the guys over the house and the drums are down there. So, you know, and they're all talking about my dad. Oh, you could play, you could play or whatever. So then they would take me down there and watch what I do. And they would just be teaching me right there. So they were already trying to ordain it early. Like, oh, yeah, like, oh, play it like this. I had like Boogie down there. And he'd be playing the bass and he'd be, you know, we'd be playing the songs. And they'd just be checking me to see if I know the groove or to this song or to that song. They'd be like, oh, you got, you know, pull the, pull the beat back which I didn't know what that meant um, as a young man, because young men don't know how to pull it back. <laughs> but that's what I had to learn is to pull it back. What's that mean? That means like when you're getting to that edge where you're about to be over the BPM, you need to pull it back to the front of the BPM. Because once you get into the front of it, you're about to go to the next BPM. So, you know what I mean? We had 90. You know, you're pushing to go to 91, 92. So you have to pull it back to the 89 to get the 90 sometimes. Weird. <laughs> it's weird. It's time travel is what we call it. But it's what I'm starting to realize what it is. It's time travel. Because you're well, playing uh, in between BPMs. A lot a lot to funk anyway is playing just like um, behind the beat a little bit anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like it's like the band is kind of pushing, and the drummer is like pulling. So it's like a tug of war, but it's like simultaneous. So even though they're kind of like, you know, bam, 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 you know what I mean, like that, the drums are still like, you know, it's like like right behind it. It's like that that clap thing, and it's like a big frequency between that that hi-hat opening to the clap this is where the bpm thing happens because it's like it's like this is the the difference between or like the medium between hip-hop and uh funk 
because it's just like this thing. It's like that's like a hip hop thing, you know. So it's like, and but like there's a little bit of extra time between that opening and that clap or that snare hit. So that's what they're trying to portray live, mm-hmm. which is crazy. But they're only doing that to uh, manipulate the sound of when you're playing like in a big street uh, stadium or something. And they're kind of playing to like the last person in the back. So that's why they kind of have to pull it back because of the echo delay. Yeah. So they're trying to catch the echo live by pulling it back. Hmm. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) When, when, uh, when did you uh, first play like a full show? Um, first time I, well, was that a full show? I would say something like 2008 or nine, I got a call to do a show and maybe I did like, like half of the show maybe, but it was like more than half, but I got called in to do it off of the whim for some reason. Um, so that was like the first time around 2008 in Virginia. Uh, Virginia Beach or something uh, and that was a good gig um, that was a good gig I still wasn't in the band yet but uh, you know I was around I've been around I'm like a, I've been a you know a little gun like oh we could pull him out on stage real quick because George always likes to have little surprises so I you know when I was younger I was kind of a surprise that I might come up there and actually be able to like survive a song or two let alone a whole show do you have brothers or sisters uh only a, a half brother that's very distant um but i have like you know god sisters and i have a lot of friends that i can call brothers but i was, yeah. I was just wondering if there are any other musicians you know besides yourself um uh, you know my cousin we have a musical family like you know my family comes from church, like my cousins and stuff like that. They come from church, so it's a whole lot of like singing and hearing a whole lot of music and knowing changes. So it's like they're kind of they're musical just by understanding the changes of gospel music and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It makes you a little bit more musical. Did Did you spend much time just playing jamming with your dad uh, apart from the band? Um, you know, my dad kind of just, you know, was more of an observer, you know, he kind of just watched what I did. We've played together. He's like, you know, when I played in high school, he came in my high school and played with them, you know, before we've done that, I've done a lot of, um, different jazz programs and stuff, and he might come in and sit in or whatever, stuff like that. We've done a couple shows together, um, but for the most part, he's more of an observer and just kind of lets me know where I should be at or what I should work on and stuff like that. Or what he thinks I should work on, which is a part of the thing. It's a part of the thing, too. You know, it's like I can always take some advice from him. He knows music. He's so it's around, it around 2010 when you became a band member? Yeah, like 2010 slash 11. I actually started off as a drum tech you know, it was just like um you know i was sitting in i could sit in whenever i wanted it wasn't a big deal um you know no pressure you just come sit in on a song with, uh dog star or another song called something stinking i want some that's actually the song that i played at woodstock i wanted to play fly on but we ended up playing something stinking i want some which i also knew too so sativa would do that rap on that right yeah 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 and then we go into this long thing on this Woodstock performance. I'm sure you, uh, I can send it to you later. It's on YouTube if you haven't seen it. I'm sure you have. But it's this long stretch. And there's like, it's this war between Blackbird, McKnight, and um, Lily Hayden. And like, there's like so many <laughs> guitar players on stage. It's amazing. And it's just going on and on and on. And I'm just sitting there trying to survive playing in front of 100,000 people. I would never expect to do something like that at uh, at that age. And kind of at that point, I'm like, definitely want to do that again and want to be able to actually uh, try to conquer that, that fear, you know, of being able to just, you know, 
play right notes and don't drop sticks and everything and nothing goes wrong. Everything's beautiful. Yeah, it's hard That's to hide when always you're working for. It's hard to hide when you're the drummer holding that beat for the whole band. I mean, you gotta really Yeah, especially if you're playing in front of that many people. And then you got like all the cameras and the pay-per-view and all that stuff. That's documented in history stuff. You know, so there was a lot of praying going on that day. <laughs> that week, actually, because I knew because we played that one gig and then like the next gig that was coming up was Woodstock in a couple months from like April, like the next gig that was in July. So I'm thinking like, oh, and then my dad was like, oh, you guys are going to come to that show. So I'm like, I'm going to that show. So I'll probably ask George if I can play, you know, it's going to happen. So, and he was down. It was actually two nights in a row. So I actually had a chance to play the first night, which was his actual birthday. And then the next night, which was the actual slot. But they just had like a birthday thing the first night. Um, so I played that night too. But then I've seen both. Uh, they were both cool. I, I don't know which one I like better, but um, I think I like the second one better maybe. I'm not sure. I like them both. They're when a little you wild, though. When you became a band member, it was um, not too long before we lost Gary. And then over the next few years, I mean, we lost a lot of the guys. Um, right. So what could you share with viewers, Benzel, about um, some of those guys like Gary or you mentioned Boogie or um, I don't know if you got to know Bernie, I know them all. Bernie very well. <laughs> I know them all. Peanut, you know. What's the exact date that Gary passed? I think it was 2011, wasn't it? I don't know the exact date. So it's it been about, about 10 years. It's been a while, but before he passed, um, I wanted to play Fly On again <laughs> this particular night on this particular show, which was like, I think it was like his last show maybe before, before you know, it was in D.C. And um, I wanted to play that song or I wanted to play that night, but, you know, there's a whole bunch of drummers. And there's a lot of politics going on on that stage all the time, especially back at that time. Because everybody's a legend back then, you know. Uh, so I'm like, I want to play tonight, da, 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 or whatever. I'm going off or whatever. And, you know, I didn't know what he was talking about at the time. But at the time, he was just like, he was like, oh, it doesn't matter if you don't play tonight. You're going to be in the band anyway. I said, oh, okay. Well, I'm going to be in the band. Nice, I'm going to be in the band. So I'm like, okay, that means I'm in the band. So now I'm in the band. <laughs> this is like one of Gary's last things that he said to me before he left here was that I'm in the band. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of like my last story with Gary, which is just crazy. I didn't even think about it at the time. I mean, I was like sitting in here and there and doing the tech thing, but he was saying you're going to be one of the main drummers. Is what he was saying. You're, you know, you're doing what you're doing right now, but you don't worry about it. You will be playing the drums. So I kind of just had to wait a little bit, work, had to do a lot of work, a lot of drum tacking, a lot of, you know, carrying this and doing that and helping this person and helping that person and all that stuff and play a song or two as well, you know. And so it was a really nice little road. Then you got people like Boogie. Like I said, he took me in the basement and he showed me how to pull it back. And he actually showed me about 16th notes on the hi-hat. You know, Boogie plays drums. So he's like showing me like how to play. Yeah, he played everything. And I'm like, oh, really? Yeah, he's like, I'm like, oh, I didn't know. It was like that. He was showing me how to play Mothership Connection at the, you know, at the um, at the Swing Down Street Terrier uh, sweet cherry stop part, and he was talking about it. Goes bam, pop, bitty ding, pop, bitty ding. And he's like, he's like, no, you're not ready to do that yet. You don't know about that yet. I'm like, what? I can play that. He's like, okay, do it, dude. I was like, doing it with one foot, and you know, he's like, you can do it with the double. This is right there. You might as well just use that. And I'm like, okay. So now, I'm, and I really wasn't oriented with double pedal at the time. Like double pedal was my fear, actually. I didn't like, you know, us gospel guys, like, we don't need double pedal. We play it with one foot, you know. 
Um, but you had to have that double pedal. It helps. <laughs> it helps. So I definitely started to, he taught me how to do more like, you know what I mean? Or did it, did it, did it. And he knows what Dennis does anyway, but he was just reiterating that you can do that. Did it, did it, did it, bang, you know, with the symbols in the, in the double pedal. Instead of trying to muscle it out with one foot, it's not going to be as loud as the dude doing it with a double pedal. And it doesn't necessarily make you a rock guy because you're doing a rock lick. Yeah, so I learned that. <laughs> and, you know, uh, one time I was with, uh, well, we were playing with George at the Apollo for something they were honoring him for. And they had all these cats there, Will Calhoun and Norwood, Booty, T.M. Stevens. It's a long list of people who were at this thing. Uh, Questlove, Paul Schaefer, all these people. And I'm walking down the street coming towards the show, and I see Bernie and Will Calhoun outside talking. You know, so I go over, I'm like, hey, what's up, uncles? Shit, I talk to the uncles and stuff. But as I'm coming over there, they're like, they're like, yeah, you know, like, you know, little Benny's ready. He's ready for the road. And they're they're telling each other like, yeah, he's yeah. I heard him play. You know, he sounds good. Let me, I think he's ready to do the thing. What do you think? And Will's like, oh yeah, he's he sounds good. I think he. So they're just like talking about that, and then here comes Quest Love talking about can he borrow my sticks <laughs> for the song for the song Aftermath, which was cool. I let him borrow. It was cool, but that was just a moment that I shared with. With Bernie Will and uh in Questlove. You know, but Bernie was um legendary. Um you ever seen that video that he did when he was at at NAM show? I've, I mean I've seen videos of him at the NAM show. I don't know if it's the video or you're talking this about. This one performance is just yeah, I don't know. His his style is just ridiculous. Oh yeah. It's just it's just another thing. I don't know. I feel like it definitely uh paved the way for some of the stuff that's going on on the synthesizers and keys today. Oh yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, you came in. So, I mean, crossing with, with Gary and boogie and these guys, I mean, you got to get some of that deep tribal knowledge of the music of the P, you know, that was passed along yeah. to you directly from creators, you know, so that is the horse's pretty, mouth. Yeah. And then I got cursed out by Billy bass one time because <laughs> I was playing Maggot Brain. And I probably we probably had played a couple of shows. I think I'm on the road at this point. Like I'm on the road, and like my song was like Maggot Brain, maybe Fly On, maybe uh, you know Verge or something. You you never know. There would probably be um, you and your folks stuff like that. That was like the era that I started with when we were when they brought me out and I was playing, you know, we were playing like Funkadelic. I was playing like Funkadelic stuff. I guess I kind of had a little Tiki thing that Tiki tyrone type thing that George thought he could play with. So I'm playing Maggot Brain and I'm kind of feeling some other thing and I'm going into some other thing. And he just like, you know, I really thought he was going to murder me that thing. And he's like, he's like, I'm going to kill you. He's like, if you ever play that again, I, I, I promise I'll kill you. You know, like, <laughs> it's like the funk mafia. It is the funk mafia. He's like, I'll literally end you if you do that again. Now, now I'm thinking, now, at this time, we got video recordings and stuff. So I actually got the recording of it. So I'm listening to it. And I see where he's coming from. And I see where I'm coming from. Um, okay, I hear you. So now I'm like, all right. So then the next day, I got to play the song with him again. I got to play with him again, and I'm like, oh, and George be seeing the friction. He's like, oh, yeah, y'all need to practice that, so we're going to do that song again. <laughs> so now I'm like, okay, well, what do I have to do? I got to go back to the record. This is basically what was instilled by all the funk guys, other than what they're showing you right there. It's like, you got to go back to the record. You have to go back to the record. And if you're playing stuff like the record, you kind of protect it if you could play it like the record. The only problem is there's many records. So there's like, there's this one version of uh, 
Red Hot Mama that's on Osmium. Then there's this other version of Red Hot Mama that's on the same, that's on like the same uh, record that stands on the verge or whatever. So now it's like, oh, those are. So now you got to learn both of those records. You know, it's like that. So it's like, well, which record am I learning? So, um, so you have to learn the record. They have to learn the record, record version and the live version. And whatever we're doing right now. Because there's always a little bit of a change sometimes. But there's a couple albums that you can go back to and you can pretty much, or a couple live live records that you can kind of go back to and, and you can be like, okay, I can study this to get this. But that's basically what they would instill in you. Like, you learn that record. Like, if you learn the record, then we can play the song. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's such a deep catalog. I mean, but it's such a uh, thrill for fans, longtime fans, you know, when one of those songs is pulled out, you know, that hasn't been done in a while. That's what's really cool. Yeah, like Alice and stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, that's kind of like a song that I like doing. Like, you know, I definitely had a nice relationship with uh, George. You know, it's a, it's a thing. But, like, I've had a thing with George where I can be like, oh, we should – you know, I start with this, I start with that. You know, me and him talk about that stuff. You know, lately I've been letting him just do whatever he want to do. Um, but for the most part, like we're on a tour or we're on the road, you know, I'm going to go talk to him about it. Like, we should do this, we should do that. Uh, enjoy like, 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 like a year, like a year or two ago when he, he pulled out butt to butt resuscitation, like in yep. the opening, you know? Well, that's because we're doing it a sound check. Like, that's how we do it. We'll just be like, we just do it a sound check and then we'll tell them we did it a sound check. Or somebody will say, they did such and such a sound check. And then he'll be like, oh, okay. You know, then he'll pull it out. You know, so I like to let them know that we worked on stuff or something like, oh, we can do this. We can do this and that. We can do that. And you know, okay, okay, let's do it. So that's been cool. And Danny seems to be a good historian, you know, of that stuff too. So I'm guessing he probably like maybe throw some stuff out there and maybe you guys will pick up on it. Oh yeah. He takes a, um, a little interlude to maggot brain every night. And he basically does like a different, um, parliament song every night. It's always a different one, but you know, unless you ask him to do another one that he's done already, but for the most part, there's that many songs or it'll be like a, a cycle of like 15 or 20 songs or something that he'll do. Um, so that's, that's always been crazy that he knows all these songs. And George does, he, does, he, does he ever surprise you with that? Or do you know that he's coming with that one that night? You never know what he's going to do, but I'm just like, Oh, okay, he's doing that. Because, you know, George just jumps in cause he knows it all too. So it's like, oh, okay, they're doing that one. I'm taking a break at that point. I'm running to the bathroom and coming back. <laughs> So I'll hear it while I'm in the bathroom. Like, oh, he's doing that. Okay, okay. <laughs> you know, I take about two minutes and then I'll run back up there and come in on the one or something, you know? Do, do you feel like you have a special kinship or relationship with some of the guys that came in around the same time as you that are younger, like Danny and um, Garrett and, you know, those guys? It took a while to warm up. You know what I mean? Like I came from the old guys. I, I came from the old guys. So I'm like, you know, used to that. I'm used to their rules. Things have changed. The old guys' rules are way different than the new guys' rules. I'll, I'll leave it there, <laughs> you know, but um, I love the young guys, though. They're, they're, we're all a part of um, some sort of thing, some sort of little new lineage type thing of this. So we're all a part of that, that whole, they all came in at like 2015, right? Well, the real like new, the, 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 the 3G, the, or 3 generation. Yeah, 3 generation. Yeah. yeah. You know, they, they came, we all came out together about through 2014 or 15, correct? But I was thinking about you with the second generation more specifically, which I would say like Garrett and Danny, and those guys are sort of more like second generation from my perspective, right? Yeah, we're in the, we're in the middle. We're cusp. I would say we're cusp because, you know, but um, but both of those guys, especially like Danny and those guys that are closer to my age, 
um, which is 38. Uh, so, you know, we're not all, all of us, the young guys, we're not that far from each other in age, even though, even the ones that are like 25 or whatever, 26, we're still not that far from them. Um, but with Danny and like Gary, they're like brothers and they can call me for a gig any day. And I'd be like, yeah, I'll probably do it. You know, <laughs> I'll probably do it before I hear what, what, what the stipulations are, just because we had that type of thing. He was like, or don't, you know, send me a can you do this track or, you know, or whatever. Like we just had that thing. We're always um, caring about each other's interests when it comes to working and stuff like that. So it's like, you know, I'll call you. You know what I'm saying? Because we're trying to do this thing. We're trying to build each other. So it's like, oh, yeah, well, I need to keep doing player. We're doing some funk thing in Europe. I'll just use Danny. Or Danny say, I'll use Benzel to do this thing or whatever. You know, Garrett will, Garrett's got a band. He'll, he'll call him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Funk, the funk collective. How, how do you like doing um, studio work like Detroit Rising or that kind of thing uh, compared to the live stuff? Um, depending on what the, what the songs are, you know, the studio thing is way more, um, uh, parts. It's a whole lot of parts and it's, everything's super precise. So like when I do records and stuff like that, if they give me the time that I need, I might not send that back for a week or two. Um, not cause I'm not playing to it, but I, or that I've recorded it, but I record it and then I sit there and listen to it. And then I listen to it again. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna play it again. I take out like a couple recordings of it, probably do about three takes. Then I go home, listen to those three takes, and I'll either take one or I'm gonna do it again. <laughs> so that that process could take about a week or two sometime. Just to say when you're playing live, it's just all impulse doing what you know. On the record, you have a, a chance to make something, you know, create a groove as opposed to live. You're still creating a groove, but that, that record groove is a little different. You know what I mean? I don't know how to explain that, but it's like, you, like you're more focused on the intricacies of the hi-hat and the beep, 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 and all that other stuff as opposed to playing something live. You might accent something differently than you would accent it on a record. Understood? Yeah, but do you... Do you like both or you prefer live <clears throat> yeah i like them both i mean i think you know live is just a whole nother energy that can't be compared to at least in the studio stuff you can't worry about billy basking on your case because it's your own thing <laughs> well now you gotta do you gotta get by george <clears throat> yeah george is worse than all of them <laughs> you know but he doesn't say anything he just looks at you george is like you're your granddad, <laughs> it'd be like, okay, I probably should do less right there. Matter of fact, George knows exactly what he wants. And basically when George is in the studio, he just wants you to stay on like a, to stay in this groove for like 10 minutes and then they'll just do whatever they want to do. They'll just take the drums that you've just grooved for 10 minutes and they can make a whole bunch of stuff out of that. You know, the energy of the, um, the studio is great because you get to have a playback. But now that we can do live and we get a playback from that, that's a whole nother thing. How, how did your relationship develop with George, you know, and um, how does he sort of give you um, messages when you're on stage? Oh, he's like a conductor. He is the band leader at this point. He's the conductor. And it reminds me of when I was in high school with my teacher named Mr. Stoffer, they're the same exact way. You know, really aggressive with their conducting. Like, really aggressive. They'd be all cool and stuff when you're just being normal, just hanging out. But, like, with their conducting, they just turn into a whole other person. I kind of get that way now, too, when I'm, like, teaching this stuff. They <laughs> get real irritated. and <laughs> Like, no, it's like this, you know. Not that he has to hit me like that ever, but it's like, you know, it'd be like, you know, just give you like cues or say that he wants a roll right here. So we'll just say, blah, 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 you know what I mean? Or something like that. It's like, okay, he wants me to play better than that right, right away. So it's like, he just tells you things and wants you to be responsive to them. Like, just like, stop, go, freeze, y'all, like all that type of stuff. He's that type of guy. Were there some like maybe missteps you had when you first started 
as a band member where he kind of like said, no, do it this way or. Yeah. Cause they'll tell one drummer one thing and they'll tell another drummer another thing. So we'll tell one drummer, you know, go ahead and have fun. Or they'll tell another drummer, no, do this. Because I think he just knows like the gauge. He's like, oh, I know that you can play what I'm thinking. That might be a part of why he let me play with him. Because I, at the least, I tried to hit what he was saying to hit. You know, and it'd be like, okay. And sometimes back in the old school days, you had to have the in-between of George and the band. So the band might be saying, don't hit that. And the George is saying, hit that. So then you had to go past the band and hit what George said. There's an in-between between George and the band. This happens, this happens sometimes where, you know, the band might want you to play and George might want you to play or something or something else. Or he might want you to do a roll when they're not used to hearing a roll or whatever. Sometimes George, and it'll be like, uh, you know, play it like the record. Playing like the record is different than playing it live. So if he says play it like the record, he means the, the record record. So if you say play one inch like the record, that means like like the record, <laughs> which is a little different than just playing boom, 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 boom. That's live. The record is more like mm, 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 mm. That's the that's the record. That's the record as opposed to mm, 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 mm. that's live where they pull it back a little bit. When you say you want the record, that means it's more like the tempo of the um, record as opposed to the live tempo, which is a little pulled back. That's what uh, I learned from him. How can you tell if you've maybe like hit hit something he didn't like or you've irritated him or something? Is it how can you tell? He'll just start pushing you or something. It'll be like, you know, speed up or something like that, or it'll be like do a roll or you know, like like cover it up, something like that. You know what I mean? Or it'll be like, don't play nothing. It'll just be like, don't play nothing else. <laughs> and you might be playing right, but it's just it's just the way it feels to him. And he's like. He's like, don't do a roll. Okay. Don't do a roll for five minutes. Okay. You ever does he ever tell you after afterwards, like good job or a pat on the back or anything like that? Or is it if he doesn't say anything, you know you did good? Um, his wife will say you did good. We did good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he watches every performance afterwards. You know, but you know, the word will be going around, oh, it sounded good or something like that. So that probably means that he said it sounded good. If I ask him how was it, he'll say, you know, oh, it was good. For, you know, for some- I don't ask him if I don't think it was good. I don't ask him. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll say, oh, no, it was good or something like that. I'll say, oh, okay, good. Because somebody- it's more about playing what he wants you to play as opposed to what you want to play. That, that's, and that's what Lodge Curry told me a long time ago. You know, he's like, um, the best show is doing what George wants, not necessarily doing what you think he wants. The best show is doing what he actually wants, which is a roll here, roll there, pocket for a long time, or play it like the record, play it like it's go-go. Okay, just do what he say. This is any job, any band leader, Prince and all of them. You know what I'm saying? Like, the better that you, you know, Charlie Wilson and all of them, the better you do what they really want, um, the better the show was. Even if you think you didn't play that much stuff or whatever, now you played what was required to the boss, which is a better gig than I showed my butt tonight and almost got fired. (laughs) Wait, when was that? Never. Because I don't get that opportunity. Um, I show my butt sometimes. But George won't say anything to you back in the day. Like, George won't say anything. The other the band, band leader will come up to you. Gary will say something. You know, you know what I mean? He don't even have to get into it because there's just so many personalities that you got to get through. That was the other thing about P-Funk with those old cats. They are real funk mafia cats. They'll tell you 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 suck. You know what I mean? They'll tell you it wasn't good. Or they'll tell me that somebody else they didn't like something more. Yeah, they'll they'll say it. And that's always been a thing. Everybody's taking the music thing so serious. 
So by the time you get to George, you probably straightened it out. And George expects you to go rehearse it. You know, he expects you to just know that you need to rehearse that part or you need to go fix something, which means that you have to go talk to Blackbird or Lodge. These, this is how the relationships come together too. Where it's like, okay, I'm having an issue with a certain part. The only thing I can do is go to a certain person and ask them how it go. But then you have to play it the way they're telling you that it goes. Or if they're saying it goes, there's like, oh, okay. So it's not what I thought it was. It's, it's that, which is closer to how the record goes. So again, playing it closer to the record wins again. On the guy that goes way back to recently came back and played to play with the band is Mike Hampton. So uh, is playing with him different from playing with Blackbird and in what ways? Um, I love them both. You know, they're both two of my favorite guitar players. I've always been in between these two guitar players my whole life of hearing these guys. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? You know, um, they both bring a different thing to the table. Um, Blackbird brings me more of a uh, McLaughlin-ish, Gamaliola-ish. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Jazzier, yeah. You know, fusion-ish, but it's still Blackbird. And that's a thing. And, uh, you know, Mike just reminds me of, like, Eddie Hazel and, you know, himself. Uh, a couple other guys, he's just, he's, he's got a different thing. They both have a different thing. You know, I'm, I would love to have them both in the band like we used to. <laughs> that would be great. Um, but yeah, they're, they're both just two different vibes. They're, it's both a great time. They're both amazing. Um, you know, playing certain things like, you know, playing certain things with Bird and then, you know, Georgia play different things with Mike or whatever. If you know what I mean, like, you know, Bird, uh, we've got Bird, he might call, George might call like Aqua Boogie and things like this, you know, and if you got, he's going to call Maggot Brain for both of them because they both have a stretching out thing. And, you know, when that switch happened between Bird and, and, uh, and Mike and whatever happened, um, you know, I got to play with Bird for some years. You know, so now we got Mike back. So now I get to get back with Mike and, you know, learn from him again. And, you know, I'm a little bit older. So me and him kind of connecting a little bit better, you know? Yeah, I, mean, I love them both. Old. I mean, I yeah. love them both. Um, for sure, Blackbird is more sort of improvisational, like fusion. And and Mike is yeah like you said more rock and traditional funkadelic kind of vibe and um love it when they're both there. I remember seeing the Beverly. I was at the Beverly Theater show in '83 and it had those two guys and Eddie Hazel, of course Gary too. But man, that mm -hmm. was incredible. Mm -hmm. And probably Boogie too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those were the days. <laughs> That was one of the loudest shows I ever saw. I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, but even today with our, without the new guys, you know, Traffiel, we got Traffiel and he's, uh, he's growing into the thing, you know, he's a, uh, you know, a prog rock guy, uh, George's grandson, Traffiel Lewis. He's like, you know, prog -ish. He's he's like rockish, you know, but he's getting into the funk thing and, um, He's getting in there pretty good. And, you know, we got Garrett in there and he's, you know, playing rhythm. And he's been around it for so long. So he knows how the stuff goes. But we sat there at shows for so many days and, and just seen Boogie and Billy just playing these lines every day and just playing them like perfectly forever. And it's like, I could probably play it for somebody's time. I've seen it. You know, so I'm, he's picking up some things as well. And of course, you know, Having Lodge is a pleasure, you know. Lodge is just a purist of bass, so for the most part, you're not going to have to worry about anything not being where it need to be. It's like a bed; you just go to sleep. 
<laughs> it's a very well, easy to lay the very comfortable bed for you. And, and your dad and, and uh, Greg Thomas, they've been doing it for so long too. And then it was great to see Greg Boyer come back also. Yeah. And, and the couple shows that we had them three together again was colossal. It was like, wow. You know, having that sound again, you know, uh, big Benny's been, you know, hanging in the house a little bit. He doesn't want to uh, fly too much, but um, he still does shows in like New York and Jersey and, you know, close places that we can, you know, drive to. Um, so we'll probably have all the horns next week in New Jersey. In New oh, York. yeah, the big birthday bash. This will, this, people will see this after that, but um, as we record this, that's just next week. So that's exciting too. Uh, sort of a homecoming for George, right? Yeah, and I think they're um, naming a street after him or something. Oh, very cool. Uh, yeah. P-Funk Way or something. <laughs> yeah. So that's going to be pretty good. That's going to be cool. I'm actually playing in New York the day before with my little band called the Mother Funkaholics. A little something, a little, little P-Funk spinoff type of thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, what's, what's the set list like for that? Uh, it's pretty original. We got some stuff that sounds funky. We got some funky rock MTV-ish rap-ish type stuff going on. It's it's, it's pretty funky. Um, we do a couple couple renditions of some P-Funk. How can you not? You know what I'm saying? Having P-Funk drummer and, and actually featuring uh, Garrett as well. So we get to go into those realms a little bit. Um, it's cool. Might have a couple other friends pop up too. Who knows? Oh, sweet. Does Garrett do any of his songs uh, with that group or no? Yeah, we do one. We do one of his as well. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm, I really, a, I'm a big. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his albums. I've been very impressed with what he's done on his own. I played drums one, um, a lot of it. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.